Well, last week um, we were celebrating Easter and uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And the final week of Jesus' life, when he was preparing to go to the cross, he celebrated the Jewish feast of, of uh, Passover with his, his disciples in the upper room. And during that meal, Jesus gave new meaning to the Passover meal. The Passover was a celebration of when God led his people Israel out of Egypt, led by Moses. And so Jesus was there celebrating that Passover, just like uh, God had commanded his people to do, to remember how he had redeemed them out from slavery out of Egypt. And as he was celebrating with his disciples, he, it says this in Luke 22. He took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This morning, in fact, this week and next week, we're going to be looking at a two-part series on the new covenant, and I'm excited to be sharing with you the first part. Covenant isn't a word that we hear a whole lot uh, in, in our day and age, and often when people think about covenant, they just think about an old term for a contract, but a contract and a covenant are different. So a contract, in a contract, you exchange goods and services. There's some kind of value exchange. For example, um, you might buy a new car, and so you go to the car dealership, and uh, the car is uh, $30,000 or something like that, and so you agree that you will give the car dealership um, $250 every other week for the next six years, and they will give you the new car. That's a, cover, that's a contract, right? You've exchanged value. And covenants are um, mostly unfamiliar to, to us, as I, as I said, but back in the ancient Near East, back in the time of Israel and back in the time of it, it, the children of Israel in, in Sinai and all that, covenants were very common. They were a normal thing. For example... In, uh, in the book of Genesis, we hear about uh, Abraham and Abraham and Lot. You, remember, you may remember that Lot was taken captive, his nephew. And so Abraham had, had a covenant with some kings in the area. And the kings went with Abraham to get Lot back and all of his stuff. They had a covenant together. And so when one person was attacked, you were basically attacking all of the people that they were in covenant with that kind of idea. And so the closest thing that we have really in our um, current day and age is, the, is marriage, marriage covenant. And one of the unique things about a marriage covenant and covenant in general is that it's an exchange of promises. It's an exchange of commitments. And those, those promises and commitments aren't dependent on whether you do your part 
I am covenanting, I am committing to do my part. For example, in marriage, you know, when I covenanted with Cecile, my wife, um, I, you know, I, I said that I would love her in sickness and in health. I would love and cherish her for as long as we both shall live and death, uh, until death do us part. I didn't say as long as you do the dishes or if you do all my ironing for me or et cetera, et cetera. I do my own ironing, by the way. So that wouldn't have worked out. Th thank you, I appreciate that. Yes, that became very clear very quickly that that was gonna be the thing I was anointed to do in our marriage. So a covenant often, but not always, involved witnesses. There was, and often there were a list of blessings if you keep up the covenant and curses if you don't. And sometimes there was a covenant meal as well, and we see these things throughout Scripture. Sometimes covenants were one-sided, um, where one party said, this is what I'm going to do for you, and that's it. I'm covenanting to do that. Uh, for example, with Noah, God did that. He said, I'm never going to flood the earth or destroy the earth again with a flood. Here's the rainbow as the, as the symbol and sign of the covenant. That's what I'm doing. Done, Right? And typically, everything that the person making the covenant owned was committed, that even their lives was committed to fulfilling their end of the covenant, even to the point of death, everything that they owned. And it was in effect as long as that person lived. And God, throughout the Old Testament, used covenant language and promises to express his commitment to people and to people groups. We're gonna look at this. If you didn't keep the covenant, basically, your life was forfeit. In, in Hebrew, the, the word for covenant is actually the word that means cutting. And sometimes they would take animals and they would cut them in half. It was a very bloody and messy affair. And they would put the halves on either side and then they would walk through the middle of them. And basically what they were saying is, may my life become like these animals if I don't hold up my end of the deal. Pretty serious stuff. So God expressed his covenant to different people. He expressed covenant promises. So we're going to build a bit of a, a picture here for you this morning. Hopefully it will help you. The first one was with Adam. You may remember that uh, when God created Adam, he gave him access to everything in the Garden of Eden. He said, all of this is here for your, for your enjoyment except that one tree over there, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You remember that tree? And so Adam decided that the tree looked too good to uh, not participate and eat from it, so he did. And as a result, sin came into the world. But then God made a promise in Genesis 3, and he said this, I am going to send the seed of a woman, in other words, a human being, to crush the serpent. The serpent was identified as being the devil. 
The devil had tempted Adam and Eve. They had given in to that temptation. So God says, Adam, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to send the seed of a woman to crush the head of the serpent. And then next, we see another. I've got to make sure I don't run out of room here. The next one we see is Noah. I already mentioned this. A flood comes to destroy all mankind except those who will trust God's plan and get into the ark. So there's this ark that saves all who believe, all who believe the message that God had given to Noah, that he was going to destroy the earth with a flood because of the sin of humanity. So that, that was the next one. And then we have Abraham. In Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17, God comes to Abraham and he makes him some promises. And one of those promises involves giving him a son, a son of promise. And this was particularly important because Abraham and Sarah's wife couldn't have kids. So God said, I'm going to give you a son of promise, and through that son, I am going to bless all the nations of the world. That's what I'm going to do. And then we come to Israel. Israel needs a little more space. <laughs> and we'll, we'll talk more about that. He said to the nation of Israel who came from the son of promise, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob's name got changed to Israel. And so the children of Israel are who God comes to and makes promises after he's redeemed them or called them out from slavery in Egypt. And he says what he wants to do is he wants to make them a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's important. We'll come back to that. I guess we can extend our arrow. And then lastly, we see this covenant that God makes with David. God makes a promise to David that he is going to raise up his seed, and that seed, that person, is going to become a king and sit on David's throne forever. So in other words, there's an eternal king. You're following so far? All right. So we've got a little bit of a summary going on here of God's covenant promises throughout the Old Testament. So in Luke 22, Jesus mentions a new covenant. Now, if there's a new covenant, there must be an old covenant. Exactly. So we're going to look at Hebrews 8, verses 6 through 13. Uh, first, though, we're going to look at verses 6 through 9. I'll read them. I think they'll be up on the screen for you. God, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted or based on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he, God, finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming. Now, now uh, 
the writer of Hebrews is actually quoting a, a prophecy in the book of Jeremiah. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. So, what is God referring to when he's referring to the old covenant? What he's talking about is this piece right here. The first covenant is the covenant that God made with the children of Israel when he brought them out of Egypt and stood them before Mount Sinai and God came down on the mountain and there was fire and there was thunder and there was a cloud and the children of Israel Israel were freaked out. That's where that first covenant that's being referred to happens. So Jesus, it says, mediates or goes between God and, and a group of people, a better covenant. And why is it better? Because there are better promises. Can you say better covenant? Better promises. Now, the goal of both the old and the new covenant was relationship. God having a relationship with mankind. That was the goal. That's what God wanted. He wanted for us to be his people and for him to be our God. And you'll see that language throughout the Old Testament. But it tells us in Hebrews um, chapter 8 that there was a fault with the Old Covenant. There was a problem with it. In other words, it couldn't accomplish the goal of relationship with God. It couldn't make that possible. Not the way God wanted it. Anyway, so the question then becomes, why is the new covenant better? What promises is the new covenant based on that are better than the old covenant? Are you interested? All right, good. Otherwise, I was going to erase it and go sit down. You know, just kidding. So the writer, as I said, in, in uh, Hebrews 8, he quotes Jeremiah and he says this, For this is the covenant, the new covenant, that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Notice the phrase there again. The goal is relationship. That's what God has in mind. So God leads the children of Israel out of Egypt, and he leads them to Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, God basically takes the promise that had been made to Abraham and begins to elaborate on it and give further explanation of it. And he explains... I want you to be a kingdom of priests to me. I want you to be a special treasure to me, Israel. I want you to be a holy nation. And why did God want to do that? Because through Israel, God wanted to bless all the nations of the world. He wanted to reveal himself to Israel so that he could reveal himself through Israel to us, to all the nations of the world. That's what God had in mind. That's what God was up to. And notice that if... Israel 
was going to experience this whole blessing of being a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, then they were going to need to do something. They were going to need to keep the terms of the covenant, which is called the law. The law, the Ten Commandments, these are the terms of this old covenant. I'll put old covenant up there so you can remember that. So God gives them these terms. And basically, the basis of this covenant happening, the way God expresses it, is that the children of Israel must obey the terms of the covenant. That's the basis of it. But there's a problem. Everybody say problem. There is a problem because Israel couldn't keep the terms of the covenant. Israel continually found themselves rebelling against the terms of the covenant, breaking the Ten Commandments, and therefore their relationship with God was continually broken. Remember what the purpose is? Relationship with God, it's not working. So they were stuck in this cycle If you look in the book of Judges, um, it talks about this cycle. And we see the children of Israel constantly going into exile and repenting and God coming to them and rescuing them and all of that. And it's because they couldn't keep the terms of the covenant. In the context of a covenant, if you keep the covenant, you're called righteous. If you keep the terms of the covenant, you are called righteous. If you don't keep the terms of the covenant, if you break the terms of the covenant, you're called unrighteous. And so Israel were unrighteous. God was righteous because he kept his side of this covenant. But Israel were unrighteous because they couldn't. And so we discover in this what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 3. All who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Remember, there's curses if you don't keep your end of the covenant. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law, the terms of the covenant, and does them. Now it is evident that no one, can you say no one, is justified or declared or made righteous before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. See, the old covenant could not accomplish the goal of a whole and restored relationship with God that was broken because of that original sin that Adam and Eve committed. God knew this all along. God knew that the law could not be kept perfectly by Israel and would not be able to restore the relationship. But what he needed is for Israel to know that. And he needed you and I to know that so that we wouldn't start trying to make ourselves self-righteous. God doesn't want that. He doesn't want us to be self-righteous. So why is the new covenant far better? Because if you try and be self-righteous, the point is you cannot attain righteousness. You're either righteous or you're not righteous. And you can't be self-righteous because you and I can't do that on our own. Now, the problem here, the reason why this isn't possible is because of the nature of the human heart. 
point to yourself and say, the nature of the human heart. <laughs> in, the, in our fallen nature is sin. And we are not capable of keeping the terms of the covenant. We are not capable of fulfilling the law because of our sinful heart. So why is the new covenant better? The new covenant is better, firstly, because when you and I believe and receive what Jesus has done and we step into the new covenant, we are given a new heart. We receive a new heart. God sent Jesus. This is where Jesus shows up in the picture. God sent Jesus to save us and to restore this broken relationship because we couldn't. And Jesus kept the terms of the covenant perfectly. He was able to do that because he was not sinful. And as a result, Jesus was righteous. Remember, if you keep the terms of the covenant, if you keep the covenant, you're righteous. Jesus was righteous. All of humanity was unrighteous because we were continually breaking the terms of the covenant. Now, God introduces a new covenant and new terms to the covenant. Instead of the terms of the covenant being you have to obey the law in order to be right with God, God comes along and he says, you have to have faith. Let's draw a circle here and we'll put new covenant. You have to have faith, and when you and I have faith, we fulfill the terms of the new covenant, and so we are declared righteous, because there are new terms. This is the terms of the new covenant. And why did God do this? He did it because he wanted to be able to save everybody not based on them obeying perfectly, but based on them putting their faith in Jesus who had obeyed perfectly. Is this making sense to you? All right. So we find out that God has dealt with the root problem, which is the nature of the heart of man, because he gives us a new heart in this new covenant. And this is the fulfillment of a prophecy found in Ezekiel 36 that says this, verse 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to carefully keep my laws. Obedience is no longer the required root of our relationship with God. Faith is. Trust in what God has done for us in Jesus is the root. And our obedience, our walking in God's ways becomes the fruit of our relationship with God. Things have changed because God wants to save us. Now the basis of the new covenant 
is our faith in what Jesus has done and his righteousness, which firstly produces a new heart in us, a new desire, a new compulsion, a new nature that longs to please God. Anybody in here long to please God? That's evidence that you have a new heart. And that new heart is evidence that you are part of a new covenant. The next promise is found in verse 11 of Hebrews 8. It says, and they shall not teach each other, each, each one his neighbor rather, and each one his brother saying, know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them till the greatest. Now this is fantastic. See, in the Old Testament, again, remember God wants relationship. And that verse, that new covenant verse just expressed it. He's saying, I want you to know me. And in the new covenant, that's possible. But let's look at the old covenant first. In the old covenant, when God came down on the mountain and he delivered the Ten Commandments, the terms of the covenant, the law, the children of Israel, like I said, were full of fear. And they drew back from God because of their sin. They were afraid that God was going to destroy them. And they said to Moses, okay, Moses, we've got a great idea. You go, you go have a relationship with God. You go hear from God, and we'll just back up where it's safe. Like this. And when you're done talking with God, you can come and tell us what he said and we'll do it. Now, they couldn't do it, but that's what they said they would do. So Moses was the one who had the relationship with God, the intimate, close, face-to-face -face relationship with God. But that was what God wanted for all of them. That was what God wanted for all of us. So what God did was with Israel, he created something called the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was the place where God's presence lived. There was the outer court where all the sacrifices happened. Then there was the inner court, which was the holy place where the priests would go and do their ministry and stuff. And then there was the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence was, that the high priest would go once a year. Can you see how this is not ideal if you want to know God? Right? God was not satisfied with this, but that's the way it had to be for now. So God sets up a tabernacle, a tent of meeting. Isn't it interesting how God phrases it that way? Again, it just says, I want to meet with my people. I want a relationship with them. And then there were these, these people called priests, and these priests were the go-between. You know, if, if something happened and you needed to talk to God, you needed to find out what God w wanted you to do, then you had to go to the priest to find out. They had to have the relationship with God and hear from God, and then you could find out what God said. God was not satisfied with that. So why is the new covenant better? The new covenant is better because through the new covenant, we can each know God. You don't need a priest. You don't need a pastor to hear God for you. You 
If you're a part of the new covenant and you've received Jesus, or you've got a new heart, you and I can know God for ourselves. Isn't that amazing? That's what God wanted. Because it didn't just say that God would give you a new heart, but that God would place his spirit in you. God now lives in you. That was God's goal in the new covenant. Talks about how uh, in 1 Corinthians 6.19, you and I, we become the tabernacle, the temple of God. Now his presence, the most holy place, is in the human heart, in the human spirit, because God gave us a new heart to make that possible. Isn't this amazing? God still works through teachers. Hopefully, he's working through me right now for you, giving you some insights. But God doesn't want a relationship with you through another sinful human being. He wants a relationship with you through his spirit who lives inside of you. And this is why God says in James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. All right. The last new covenant promise is this, verse 12. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. Can you say, thank you, Jesus? <laughs> See, the old covenant involved sacrifices. It involved sacrifices because the Bible tells us that the terms of the covenant were this. The wages of sin is death. The result of not keeping the terms of the covenant is Death. Remember, if you don't keep your end of the covenant, you forfeit your life. This is a very difficult position that humanity is in. <laughs> the wages of sin is death. So God set up this sacrificial system to deal with that temporarily. So the, if, if I sin, I would go to the priest, I would bring with me an unblemished animal, had to be unblemished. If you read through the book of Leviticus, you'll find out the word unblemished, 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 without spot, without spot, without spot, comes up continually because when we bring that unblemished animal, the, the children of Israel did that, that animal the life of that animal, which was represented by its blood, because in the, in the Old Testament, blood was not the icky thing we think of. When we think, you know, you've got to wash the blood off. Ugh, got to get rid of the blood off of your clothes or something. Blood in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, represented life. So what happened was the, the sinner would put their hand on the animal and would identify with that animal and its life and their life would be like united in God's eyes. And so then that animal would lay down its life for the sin of that person as its representative. And that's what happened throughout the old covenant. So why is the new covenant better? Through the new covenant, our sins are taken away once and for all. See, I, 
if you were under the old covenant, if you were a Jew at that time, you had to do that every time you sinned. You better have a lot of animals. <laughs> you would bring that animal. There was a constant reminder of sin for the Jewish people, of their sin, of their need for their sin to be atoned for. But in the new covenant, oh, and I should say that the all that happened in that process was the blood of that animal covered the sin of the people. It didn't deal with it. It didn't get rid of it. It just covered it. It made it so that they could still have a relationship with God, but it didn't get rid of it. It didn't remove the problem of sin. But listen to Hebrews 10, 11 and 14, through 14. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. That's what I was just describing to you. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering of himself, he has perfected for all time, say all time, those who are being sanctified. The new covenant is better because when Jesus came and lived righteously, according to the terms of the covenant, the old covenant, he then chose to lay down his life to identify with us sinful human beings, which is why he had to become a man, so that he could die on a cross, not just to cover our sin, but to take it away. I think that's pretty good. God committed himself to his end of the covenant to the point of death. Do you remember how I told you that a covenant you, if, if you didn't keep the covenant, you forfeited your life. And in order to keep the covenant, you had to be prepared to go as far as giving your life. God did. God made a covenant with Abraham. And he said, through you, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. Through you, I will deal with this problem of sin. And he did, even at the cost of his own life. God is a covenant-keeping God. God is a covenant-keeping God, and he removed our sin from us. Sin is removed through the new covenant. When you put your faith in Jesus as your righteousness, as the one who fulfilled the terms of the covenant, you get a new heart, you are able to know God, and your sin is removed. It's beautiful. Now remember, the goal of both the Old and the New Covenant was a relationship with God. I said this a couple of weeks ago. The goal of all of this is not so you can get to heaven. The goal is so that you and I can have a restored relationship with God that starts here and now on this earth. And one day, yes, we will be with him in heaven. And that will be fantastic. That will be wonderful. But it begins here and now. The fault of the old covenant, as I said, was the, it, it was the problem of the human heart. 
That's why the old covenant was faulty, because it could not produce righteousness in a person that would able, enable them to be in right relationship with God. It couldn't do that. So the new covenant, one of the reasons why the new covenant is better is because this new covenant is not simply between God and a sinful human being. It is between God and his perfect son. And God cannot fail and his son cannot fail. And so when you put your faith in his son, then his righteousness, which cannot be removed, is applied to you. Your faith is accounted as righteousness in God's sight. So that you and I, sitting here in this place, on the chair that you're sitting in, in God's eyes, are as righteous as Jesus Christ. And it's not because of anything you did, keeping the terms of the covenant, it's of the old covenant, it's because you are keep, keeping the terms of the new covenant, which is faith in his son. I want you to see this, that Jesus is the focal point and the fulfillment of everything at the top of this whiteboard. He is the seed of the woman who crushed the serpent's head on the cross. He is the ark that saves everyone who believes in him. He is the son of promise. He is the one who kept the law. He is the tabernacle that brought God's presence to earth. He is a high priest who stands between us and God and makes sure that our relationship with him is intact. And he has become the lamb of God who has taken away the sin of the world. And he is the eternal king who will reign forever. That's who Jesus is. And now, as a result of the new covenant, as I said, God has placed his spirit in each of us. He has given us a new desire, not to do our own thing, go our own way, but to do his, go his way, do his will. And through his spirit who lives in us and is, is able to live in us because Jesus was raised from the dead, <laughs> he has given us new life. A dead savior can not give new life to you. Jesus rose again from the dead to make you new and to place his spirit in you. And his spirit is now at work in all those who believe conforming them to the image of Jesus Christ so that not only are they counted righteous, but we begin to live righteously. Not as a requirement of being in covenant with God, but as the fruit of being in covenant with God through Jesus Christ. That's what God is doing. That is what God has been doing throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament. That is the new covenant that Jesus was bringing and ratifying, to use a, a Bible word, through his blood. That's what he was making possible. Father, we thank you for all you have done for us. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your covenant commitment and faithfulness to us. We thank you for not abandoning us. We thank you for keeping up your end of the covenant, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Lord, we believe and we receive what you have done for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just keep your heads bowed for a moment.
Maybe this is news to you, what I shared this morning. Maybe you'd never heard of what Jesus had done for you and how he became the one through whom you could have a relationship with God, through whom you could be forgiven. This morning, as I shared with you, the only thing you need to offer God in order to experience what I have described is faith. The Bible tells us that God is no longer counting our sin against us. And the reason he isn't is because of what Jesus has done on behalf of all of us. And if you will identify with Jesus, if you will say, God, I believe that you sent your son to die on the cross for my sin. I believe that he rose again so that I could be made right with you. As soon as you do that, in a moment, you are declared righteous and your relationship with God, which was broken, can be restored in a moment, in a split second. But the requirement of that covenant, of that new covenant, is faith. And the reason why God said, I want the requirement to be faith, is because anybody can believe.